Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us for this time today. We hope that this message will encourage you, build your faith, and help you thrive with God and thrive in life. Now to the message. We're continuing uh, in our series, Peaks and Valleys. And today, I want to talk about a message of this is, is Jesus enough on the peaks? Is Jesus enough on the peaks? Now, I was at uh, worship rehearsal this past uh, Tuesday with the team. And uh, by the way, worship on uh, Thrive, Friday Night Thrive, it was so good on Friday. So, so good. Um, But I was at uh, uh, the worship rehearsal on uh, Tuesday and uh, they were singing uh, this one song. And it was such a great song. I love it. They sang, do it again. And it's such a faith filled, declaring God's word and faith. Um, I believe that you'll do it again. I've seen you move mountains and you'll do it again. Uh, It talks about that the battle belongs to the Lord. It is so good. But there was a line in the song that when, when, when the team sang it, it, it just rung within me. It's like all of a sudden it just boom hit me. And, and actually quite honestly, I was holding back tears. It hit me so much. And, and what hit me is the, the line, Jesus, you're still enough. How powerful is that? Jesus, you are still enough. And and, you know, many people I think would say this in the valley, like, or like, Jesus, I need you. You are enough. This, you are what I need. And if you are in a valley, that is so true. Jesus, he is enough. He's got you. If you're in a valley, no, you're coming out. If God, if it isn't finished, God's not done. Why not in the comment, just put right now, uh, put, I'm coming out. I'm coming out of the valley. But, and we can say that Jesus, you're enough in the valley. And I think many people in the valley would say, yes, I'm believing. And I know that Jesus is enough. But then the Lord dropped this question in my heart. And it was, is Jesus still enough in the peaks? Is Jesus still enough in the peaks? And if, if, if we're honest, I think it, it's, can be easier to say, Jesus, I need you in the valleys. And a bit more of a challenge when it comes to the peaks or the highs of life, when everything's going well. And at times you can be like, God, I got this. I'm okay. Uh, and, and, you know, but the question I think is, is Jesus still enough in the peaks? Is our heart, our action, our attention saying, Jesus, you're still enough when everything is going awesome. And there's actually a choice that every person must make on the mountaintop, if you will, or on the peaks of life. And it's the choice is this, is it, will the peak, will this peak, uh, is it a, will the peak, I'm going to gather my thoughts here. Will this peak be a place of self-rule and self-reliance or will this be a place of worship? Will this peak or this high or this, uh, when everything's going really well in my life or wow, this is amazing. Will that place 
be a place of self-rule and self-reliance or will it be a place of worship? And how you, did, how you answer that question with your actions and your heart actually will either start, uh, start a downward spiral from that peak or will be one of the many peaks in your life. We actually see in the Bible, Solomon, he faced this very choice that every single person faces uh, in their life, in the peaks of life. Now, Solomon, he was uh, king after David. He was King David's son. Big shoes to fill, right? David, uh, a man after God's own heart. He was like a fighting legend. He killed lions. He killed bears. He killed giants, right? He's like, you can imagine if David was going out to a boxing, you could imagine the announcer saying, and the, I'm not going to go into it, but do it in your head. It would be awesome, right? I would love to be part of his crew. But now this is da uh, Solomon's dad, but Sol David died and Solomon became king. And he became a ruler of this whole nation. And God actually comes to Solomon in a dream. And, and in the dream, God says, ask me of anything you want and I will give it to you. Ask me anything and I will give it to you. And in 1 Kings 3, in, in verse 3, it says this, uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, says this, Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And I am here in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous, they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? So Solomon in there, we see Solomon, he recognized his need for God, his need for God that I can't do this on my own. This massive task before me is too big for me. What I'm called to do is too big for me to do in my own power. Just like what God actually has on your life is too big for you to do on your own. If it's something you can do on your own, I would say it is not a God call because God calls you to something bigger than what you can do on your own. But Solomon, he recognized, I need God. I need you. And he says, God, give me an understanding heart. Give me your wisdom. Solomon recognizes he needed God's guidance. I need God. I need your wisdom. And now God was so pleased with Solomon. And he said, because you didn't ask for riches, you didn't ask for fame, but you asked for an understanding ear or understanding heart, wisdom, my wisdom, you will have wisdom, but you will also have what you did not ask. You will have great riches and fame. And so God blessed Solomon, his rule gave him great wisdom. Now God gave him great wisdom so much. So he wrote the book of Proverbs, a great book, the book of wisdom. He writes in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy one is understanding. He, he becomes known by the other kings around the world for his wisdom and his excellence. His peers are saying, wow. This Solomon guy 
is amazing. You should see his kingdom. He's got respect from his peers. So much so that uh, there's a queen uh, that comes and uh, it's recorded in the Bible and she's amazed just at how his court operates, how those who serve him operate, how excellent everything is. She sees that. Solomon also prospers and is extremely wealthy. He's rich. In, in 1 Kings 10, it actually gives perspective of how prosperous Solomon was and also the nation of Israel. In 1 Kings 10.27, it says, But the king made silver as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone, and valuable cedar timber was as cinnamon and, and it goes on of, uh, throughout the scriptures of how much that Solomon, he actually wore silver, was now just like, oh, that's just another stone. Like he was wealthy. Uh, silver was commonplace. The, the Bible tells us how much wealth he actually had. And in, for, uh, to, for today's wealth, if you're to adjust it to today's wealth, it is actually 2.2 trillion U.S. dollars. That's U.S. dollars. That's 2.7 trillion Canadian dollars. Like that's a lot. He could have bought all of Amazon, the company, not just what was on Amazon. He could have done that no problem with the silver. But he, he could have bought Amazon, the company, Apple, the company, still had money left over. Like he was wealthy. He was doing so well in every area. Solomon was prospering uh, and, and operating in God's wisdom. Things were, you could definitely say with confidence, things are going very well for Solomon. You, not just him either. People from outside say things are going very well for Solomon. He's really doing well, right? Like, it, he's, he's thriving in his career. His LinkedIn profile, everybody wants to be a friend with him. Now, uh, now it comes, God comes to Solomon and says, build me a temple so that I can dwell among my people. Today, we're, thank God, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit now lives within us as, we, as Christians. But before Jesus, that was impossible. So God says, build me a temple and build it on, on this mountain. It's in the middle of Jerusalem, and it, to this day, it's known as the Temple Mount. It's, it's an elevated place, and God gives specifications of how to build it. They use fine wood from all over the world. They, they, the inner sanctuary is covered everything in gold. There are beautiful carvings, such detail, like the finest craftsmen, are involved in building it. The finest stone is, is, is uh, sourced for this temple. It is a beautiful place. It is absolutely beautiful. And the purpose of this place is for God to dwell, the presence of God to dwell, and that the Israelites can worship God. The purpose of the temple was worship. So he builds this temple on a literal high place in the midst of what you could say was a high point in his life, right? Things are going well. And it takes seven years to build this, this temple. And it is 2,700 square feet of amazingness. Now on the same mount, on the same temple mount, uh, on that, that hill, uh, Solomon builds his palace. Now, what is a palace? A palace is a place where kings rule from. There's a place for kings rule from. First Kings 6.37 tells us uh, 
In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziz. Man, I'm glad we don't use the Ziz months anymore. And in the eleventh year, in the month of Baal, which is the eighth month, the house was finished with all its details according to all its plans. So it was seven years in building it. So seven years to build the house of God, the temple, right? Then uh, seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 1 continues, and it says, But Solomon took 13 years to build his own house, so he finished all his house. Now, in this scripture, we actually see a contrast between God's house, the temple, the place of worship, and the place where Solomon would rule and reign. Solomon builds a, a palace for himself. It takes 13 years. Uh, you can read through it. It uses fine wood, all that nice stuff. But the measurement of it is actually, uh, it says it right in the Bible, 11,250 square feet. So the, the scripture really points out the contrast between the place of worship that was on the high place and the place of where he would rule from on the high place. The temple took seven years to build. At Solomon, it took 13 years. More time was given toward what, where Solomon would rule. The temple had 2,700 square feet. The, the scripture tells us that Solomon's palace, where he would rule from, not worship from, was 11,250 square feet. Now, in the contrast, is God, I don't believe that God is against you having nice things at all. The scripture doesn't say that. It actually says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. And I'm not saying that Solomon shouldn't have built a palace either. But what I want to point out in the contrast between the two is that Solomon gave more time, more resources, and literal footprint because the, his, his place from which he would rule from was bigger to the mount or the high place instead of worship. The physical peak, the temple mount that we know it as today was more consumed and taken up by the palace from which he would rule from instead of the temple where he would worship from. And I think this is actually a physical ex expression uh, of what was actually happening internally in Solomon. It was starting to happen that Solomon's heart as he was on his peak of life, was starting to move from the place of God. I just, I need you. I need your wisdom and your knowledge and started to move into my own wisdom, how I can do it, how I can handle it, where I rule from. He began to give more room in his life to self-rule, self-reliance than dependence and worship on God. We, we see, we actually see this in some of his decision makings in, uh, in, uh, first Kings 11, we see this now in ancient times, give some context in ancient times to oftentimes what was happened to make peace with other nations is you would marry, uh, someone from that nation, like a Royal, uh, family member from that nation. And we see in this scripture that Solomon, I believe it's at him taking uh, the peace treaties into his own hands. And it's this is first Kings 11. It says, but King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as 
the daughter of Pharaoh, women from the Moabites, Amites, Edomites, uh, Sardinians, the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord said to the children of Israel, you should not, not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your heart away, uh, your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these love and he had 700 wives, uh, princesses, and, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. One after reading that. Wow. Crazy. This guy's insane. 700 wives. That's crazy. But I believe actually in here is that he was making peace with other nations around him, taking it into his own hands, but actually going against what God had said of not marrying uh, women from uh, the other nations. Why? Because they would turn his heart away. He would allow his heart to turn and go away from God. You know, his life did not end as good as the peak. He ended it. That decision, I think actually that where he decided I'm going to make my palace where I rule and make my decisions from bigger and a bigger footprint, more time, more resources than where I worship from was the beginning of the spiral in Solomon's life. And it ended badly. His heart turned from God. Solomon went from God, I just need you. Flour then flourishing because God was causing him to th flourish, to thrive. And then he went down from there as he allowed his heart to go further. God brought him to the peak, blessed him, increased him. But somewhere on there, he allowed self-rule rather than worship. And it spiraled down. And at the end of Solomon's life, he wrote this. He said, everything is meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity. And he concludes Ecclesiastes with this in verse chapter 12, verse 13. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. At the very end of his life, after he said everything is meaningless, meaningless, he came, he did circle back around. But how did Solomon get from, God, I just need you. Like God saying, I'll give you anything you want. And he said, I just need your wisdom. I just need your wisdom, a heart, uh, a wisdom to now. How did he get from there to being so self-reliant and self-rule? And self like what happened? I believe he allowed the blessing of God to become common and allowed himself to forget it was God who put him there. He, al he, he allowed the blessing of God to become common and forgot or really allowed himself to forget that God was the one who put him at that place in his life. He saw what God had done and what he had accomplished 
And, and I wonder if after that, as he saw what he accomplished, what he built, started hearing the praises of, of other people, of, of foreign nations, that he started to think, I'm pretty good. Yeah. I, I am doing pretty awesome. I am pretty excellent. Yes, I am pretty wise, if you don't say so myself. <laughs> yeah, that, how much silver do I have? I don't even know. I just have so much, right? He forgot what, why he was there. God put him there and where, and the peak really is meant to be a place of worship. In Deuteronomy, God says to the Israelites, when, when they just came out of slavery, when God delivered them out of slavery in Deuteronomy, God says this. So it shall be when the Lord, your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build houses full of good things, which you did not fill. Hewn, uh, uh, hewn out wells, which you did not dig vineyards and olives, which you did not plant when you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the, uh, the house of bondage. What an amazing, amazing scripture. In there is the promise of God to the Israelites and as well to us of, listen, you're going to uh, eat from vineyards you did not plant. You're going to live in places that you did not build. But then there's there where, remember, it is not that when you do have all these things, when you are on the mountaintop, when you, are received, when you have received the promise, that it is the Lord God who brought you there. Remember the Lord God who brought you there. And Solomon actually would have known this scripture. He would have known this scripture, but he allowed himself to forget that it was God who placed him there. Now, my question is, how do I not become like Solomon in his later days of forgetting or taking God for granted? How do we make sure that we don't, uh, that we ensure the our peaks in life are places of worship and not self-rule and self-reliance. Because, hey, you will experience peaks as you are planted doing life with Jesus. Those who are planted in the Lord will flourish, thrive in the courts of our God. That as you do life with him, if you, hey, if you are in a valley right now, that is not your final destination. You are coming out. So it's great you know about this now and what we can do. So how do we make sure that our peaks are places of worship and not places of self-reliance? I believe it's this in giving God praise and thanksgiving continually, giving God praise and thanksgiving continually. I'm not talking about a Turkey, but giving him thanksgiving. In other words, God, I praise you. God, you are amazing. God, I thank you for this. I thank you for what, what you're doing. I thank you for what you've provided, right? In Psalms 100 verse one, it says this shout to the Lord, uh, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth, 
Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastures. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. I love that. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Give him praise. Uh, continually giving God praise and, and thanking him. Uh, what, what happens is it takes our focus off of us and puts our focus on in the proper place, onto God, unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It keeps our intention into check. So we're not going to get distracted or hung up on the peaks and go like, oh, shiny thing, and you look the other way. Instead, your focus is on the right thing. You have the right perspective. It keeps your heart right, your attention right, that you know who got you there. It is God. And it's not just something that you do once you get to the peak. Like, sort of like, uh, you, it's something that you actually do, you can do right now. In the valley, giving thanks giving God praise and thanking him. Why? Because it keeps your attention then too. And as well, you know that where you are right now, it is not your final destination because God is not a man that he should lie. What he said in his word, he will do. So you can give him praise and give him thanks for his faithfulness, his goodness that he's bringing you out. We get to do it right now of giving him praise and thanks, not having to wait until we are on the peak. But can I encourage you is that when you are to continually give him praise, thanks, and acknowledge him. The Bible says, acknowledge him in all your ways. Because the peaks of life really are meant to be a place of worship, to give praise and thanks to God, to say, look what God has done. Look who God is, the goodness of God, to really be the shining light, the shining city on a hill where other people see God through you. When we give praise and thanks, we recognize God has brought us here. It keeps our focus right because the peak is not the goal. The peak is not actually the goal, the peak of life, if you will. You know, success isn't. This is going to be a mind blower in 2020. Happiness isn't. Um, you know, peace isn't even. Being blessed is not the goal. You know, self-love is not the goal. Um, prosperity or uh, having money, it is not the goal. Now, they are part of what comes with the goal when you go after the true goal. But they are not the goal. They are in the goal. The goal is Jesus. He is all in all, everything we need. Ha joy and happiness, peace is in him. Prosperity is in him. Health is in him. Th those things are not the goal. Jesus is the goal. And when we give him praise and thanks, we keep our eyes on the goal and not get distracted by the mountains and sometimes hung up and staying somewhere where that was just part of the journey that God had for us. The goal is Jesus. Philippians 3.14 says, 
I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We get to do life with Jesus. That's amazing. Whether you're in a valley or a peak or in between or on your way, like wherever you are, in a bog, um, wherever you are, you get to do life with Jesus, walk with him. You get to do that. And know what? You will be transformed into the image of Christ. You will then as well be walking into more and more, every step with Jesus, walking more and more into what God has for you, which is good because he says he has got good plans for you, a hope and a future. That's so good. But I want to circle back to that question. Is Jesus uh, still enough for me? Is Jesus still enough for you on the peaks of life as he is in the valley? Will we choose on the peaks of life to make those places of worship to magnify God or will they be a place of self-reliance and self-rule is Jesus still enough I think that answer really makes us examine ourselves and locate where we are in our relationship with him you know is God a way of just getting what my goal is did I mislabel what the goal is is God my Yoda for my journey? He just leads me and I only go to him when I need him. Is God my 911 emergency call? Or is he Lord of my life? Is he the priority in my life? Am I part of, is it not about me, but about him? It's not about my story, but it's about his story that, that I get to be a part of. Is it about his will and not my will? And if it's some of the others that I listed, listen, there's no condemnation in Christ, but it's an opportunity to recalibrate our goals, our attention, our focus on Jesus. Jesus says this, he says in Matthew 11, he says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I believe today we have an opportunity wherever we are in life, whatever season it is, whatever stage it is, today to recalibrate our focus, our goal onto Jesus. Why don't we just pray right now? And if that's you, wherever you are, why not just, just raise your hands to, to him and we're just going to pray a prayer right now of God, we need you. We need you. You are our focus. So Father, we thank you that Jesus, he is good. Father, I think that you are good. I thank you, God, that you've got us, that all of your promises are yes and amen. Today, we put our focus on you. 
We put our attention on you. We say you are Lord of our life. You're not just just there in our life. No, you are Lord of our life. Father, we, we, today we say, let the places, the high places in our life, the peaks, not be a place where we are self-reliant or self-ruling, but a place of worship that magnifies you. God, we know you are faithful. You are so good. So Father, we love you. We thank you that for those, those that are in a valley right now, in a low point right now, God, we thank you that you are there with them, you empower them, and that you are bringing them through. And Father, I thank you for those who are at, at a peak right now. It's just like, God, you are so good. Wow, you're amazing. Look what God has done. Father, I thank you that you would empower them. You would help them to make those places in their life be a place of worship and to magnify you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to worship, and then after we worship, we're going to come right back. All right, let's worship, church.
still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never Thank you for joining us for the Thrive Church podcast. We hope this message encouraged you, built your faith, and helped you thrive with God and thrive in life. We would love to see you on a Sunday soon, in person or online. You can get all the information at thrivecalgary.ca. If you would like to support a partner with Thrive Church financially, you can do so by going to thrivecalgary.ca and click the Give button. Know God is for you. We love you and have a great week.